Welcome to the Olive Tree Podcast channel. Whether you're listening from our beloved Durban, South Africa, or from further away, we trust that you would feel welcome and included in what God is doing in our community, and that you feel inspired by today's message. Good morning and happy Christmas to you. And if you're visiting us from inland, from Joburg, maybe from the Free State, or the Eastern Cape, because you're not allowed near the beaches. Um, if you're visiting with us, it's great to have you here with us. Uh, we, we organized the rain just to give you a, a relax from our humidity. And, and so we, we organized that for two days, and then we're going to give you a humidity beatdown in two days' time, and you'll get to go back to our beaches, which will be awesome for you. But uh, we've called this series Cohovid. Christmas. And uh, if you look around, we've got Christmas trees with masks, and we've got sanitizer on them, and we've got the whole vibe. And I thought today, the best thing I could call it was an unexpected Christmas, because for so many of us, it is completely unexpected. And uh, the, the thing that got me to calling it an unexpected Christmas was uh, I was chatting to an Afrikaans friend of mine, and she was telling me about her first Christmas as a married person. And she said that in her Afrikaans culture and probably many Afrikaans homes, the way you do Christmas, and I think it's absolutely brilliant, I think we should all do it this way, the way you do Christmas is that you, in, on Christmas Eve, you've prepped all the food. And you arrive at someone's home and there's a huge party and you kind of eat and party your whole way to 12 o'clock. Kids are involved, everybody's there, it's a full vibe. And then at 12 o'clock, you start opening presents, which I thought was genius. But then she said she went to her in-laws. And when she got there, there was a nice vibe. In-laws were all there. Everybody was, was kind of milling around, chatting. And it got to 8.30, and she was all expectant. She's going, man, this is going slowly, but I'm sure something's going to happen. And at 8.30, granddad got up and he said, so what shall we make for dinner tonight? She said, Ross, I just walked out the room and I started to cry. And she told me that story, and I thought to myself, this is why we have heart attacks during Christmas. This is why we actually need to come up with a premarital for Christmas. Because, because let's face it, facing your in-laws on Christmas, it, it actually needs a whole session of training. And as I was, I was thinking about this, I started thinking of different cultures and how they celebrate Christmas, and I started asking people, and I spoke to Bones and to Rick, and they, they expa- explained how, how you have Kaya Kulu, where everybody comes together, and if they go to church, it's like an eternal church service, because everybody's kind of arriving from taxis and cars from different areas of the country, so you sing a song, then you greet a new person who's just arrived, and then you sing another song, greet another person, then he preaches for a while, but then half the people missed it, and so it keeps going, and so church just goes on and on. Aren't you grateful uh, that you just have an hour? service with us. But anyway, that, that's how their system works. And I thought to myself, imagine walking into that cold. Imagine going into a different culture or a different kind of way of doing different traditions cold. We need to train people for that. And then I thought to myself, what if, what if we could just do like a Durban Christmas? What if we, we could take all the the English stuff out, and we could just make it Durban. So instead of turkey, I mean, who likes turkey? There's no KFT 
It's KFC. Turkey is dry. You need to put cranberry sauce on it to even like it. Why don't, why don't we do ostrich? Like, we could eat all day, whole ostrich. Couldn't fit in the oven, but we would, we would maybe ostrich chick. We, we could have chisanyama or ostrich. And we could get rid of things like crackers. I mean, why crackers? My kids love them. I was chatting to them about stuff we would take out at Christmas. But crackers, you think about it, you pull the cracker, and, and we're in South Africa, crime's up. Like someone's diving under the table, hijacks happening. Like everybody's afraid. Let's, let's pull that out. Let's bring some Indian culture in. So we can, we can start with like a mini biryani or mini roti just to spice things up. And then, and then what we could have is we could have a little bit of betting, uh, just some Indian culture. We could have some betting on who's going to win the Boxing Day test and we can hold, set that whole thing up. And then as we go through the day, we can, we can, take, out, we can take out those crown things. Because let's face it, those are the worst things ever when it's humid. For, for ladies, you put them over your head and it's like a guy mullet. Like it pulls down your hair at the top and so it's business on top and then your hair below just frizzes out and so it's party down below. You, you don't want that. We could, we could get rid of that and we could just have dress code baggies and slops. That is Durban, through and through. Nobody's allowed to wear anything else but baggies and slops. In fact, I'm taking this off. We need to just get into Durban. It would, it would just be so good because we would know what to expect. And when we know what to expect, we relax. But everything about 2020, everything about, about this Christmas, for most of us, is completely unexpected. And the thing about the first Christmas story is that the first Christmas story was event after event after event, unpredictable, unexpected. You couldn't have worked out what was going to happen. The king of kings has no place to sleep, no place to be born. Wise men travel thousands of kilometers whilst the neighbors in Bethlehem are oblivious to who's in their midst. Angels don't come to priests or prophets or kings, they come to shepherds. Jesus comes to bring a spiritual kingdom, not a, a Rome defeating kingdom. Everything about the Christmas story was unpredictable. We couldn't have known. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read a bit of that Christmas story, and then Paul's going to speak about the glory of God in that moment, and then I'm going to bring it home. So I'm turning to Luke chapter 2, and this is how it goes. During those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Luke writes this because he wants us to know this is real. It really happened. Quirinius was the governor of Syria at the time. Everyone had to travel to his or her hometown to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his fiancée Mary left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now we're going to come back to that, but I want you to turn to Paul, who's going to share about the glory of God. Watch this. So Luke gives us the scene. Uh, with angels freaking a bunch of shepherds out in a field. Um, One more figurative translation has it that the angel appeared in the radiant splendor and and that the glory of God lit up the whole field and freaked these guys out. And they're terrified and the angel has to say, don't worry. I suppose that makes sense. But I always really enjoy trying to analyze the human emotional reactions that you see when you get a clue about them in scripture. It's always interesting to pretend you haven't heard the story before and wonder why is it that these guys were so worried? What is it that freaked them out so much? Um, Nahum Tate in 1700 wrote the hymn, uh, While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks at Night, and he describes that moment where the, the angel says, Fear not, said he, for mighty dread had seized their troubled minds. Why all the worry? What's freaking them out so much? Is it just that big, impressive angels turned up? Possibly, that, that makes sense. But in Matthew's account, he gives us this little insight into the story of the wise men, if you remember them. And they turn up in chapter 2 and tell Herod their plan. They've seen a star. They're trying to find the Messiah, the, the, the arrival of God on earth. And we get this line, Herod was very troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, I get Herod's self-serving fear that he might be, you know, supplanted by someone more impressive. But why was all of Jerusalem worried? Why were the shepherds so worried? It makes me just wonder, are we, are we missing something that was causing them to really freak out that we maybe aren't seeing or aren't paying attention to in this story? In John's account, John, as ever, skips all the physical information and goes straight to the spiritual and sort of metaphysical description of what was going on. Everything was coming into the world that... That which was his own didn't recognize him. That that which he created didn't receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. He goes on a little later to say, The word became flesh and dwelt among us and revealed the glory of God to us. Now, when you see the word glory, we heard it about the angel revealing the glory of God on the field. We hear it now again in John's version that Jesus arrived like undercover bosses, like no one even really recognized just the potency of who was here. But he did come revealing the glory of God. When you see the word glory, you need to know that that word in um, the original Latin and Greek is the word doxa. Um, And doxa is quite a cool word. It's quite a Greek word. It's this kind of rational recognizing of something incredibly impressive. It's that thing that elicits praise from us. Now that's quite logical and heady. I like the Hebrew version, which Doxa is actually referring to. The Hebrew word is kabo. And kabo means it's very impressive, it's very praiseworthy, but it also implies this sense of it's thick and it's heavy. And I'm just wondering if the shepherds weren't just being impressed by the light show that the angels put on for them, that all of Jerusalem along with Herod weren't just worried that maybe Herod's seat on the throne was at risk, but they were like any rational human being actually should be, getting a little intimidated by the doxa, by the kabo, by the glory of God. See, it's the same glory that we first encounter on a mountain in the Sinai region, where Moses is chatting with God and God says, just let everyone know I'm coming. 
I want to meet with you. And they better be ready. Three days beforehand, they better purify themselves. No one can even touch this mountain. Please, God has to warn Moses over and over. Please make sure no one comes near the mountain. If an animal comes near the mountain, it's got to be killed. I'm, I'm deadly to you, but I really want to meet with you. So everyone has to purify themselves and prepare themselves and cleanse themselves for three days. Then Moses goes and chats to God and he starts the conversation with God and God allows this insane, you can read about this in, in Exodus 19, this, this trumpet blast to start to grow and grow and grow. No one's blowing a trumpet, but this noise is kind of starting to reverberate to unbearable levels. And the mountain gets covered in a thick cloud and there's an earthquake and things are shaking and boulders are falling off the side of the mountain and God's saying, don't come too close, I'm deadly. And then when he does reply to Moses, he replies with a thunderclap. That's what his voice is like. And when Moses chats to the people afterwards, they say, look, it's great that God spoke to us. But going forward, do you mind if, if you just speak to him alone and then just let us know? Because his voice is too terrible for us. We can't even bear to hear it. You know, whenever Moses would spend time with the Kabul, the doxa, the glory of God, his face would shine so brightly that it would scare the people, that he had to put a veil over it. They didn't even want to see the reflection of God's glory on someone else. When Moses wanted to be anywhere near God, he had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock so he wouldn't be killed. We're talking about the same glory that by night was so bright that cloud looked like a pillar of fire that would lead the Israelites around. That when it was time for, later on in the story, David hires these dudes to transport the Ark of the Covenant, this little box, this little symbolic representation of a scaled down version of the presence of God. And the oxen stumble and the things starting to tip and some thoughtless dude stretches his hand out to to stop it falling over and drops dead. God's glory is so potent that when Solomon consecrates the new temple, the glory of God moves from the tabernacle and descends on the temple and illuminates the place. We're told in the new heaven and the new earth, we're not even going to need a sun. The whole universe will be illuminated by the Kabul, the doxa, the glory of God. It's the glory of God that Job confronts when he thinks he's got a legitimate case, a legitimate grievance, and then he suddenly comes face to face with the ancient, unchallenged, awesome glory of God and recognizes that his case fell apart. It's the glory of God that, like when you pinch on Google Maps, he pinches the sheetrock of continental plates up into mountains. He just flicks planets into perpetual orbit just with the power of his words. He tells Job that in his hands he can hold the megawatt electricity of lightning so he can just send it where he wants it. And then later Jesus shows his disciples when they're on a boat in a storm that just as easily as he can start one, he can say, be still, like you would to a small dog. Have you ever been on a small boat in a big storm? Can you even imagine someone standing up, rocking on the boat with their hair being blown by this massive atmospheric power? And just going, and it just stops. It's the glory of God, I suspect, that rational men and women recognize is terrifying to be around. We're going to go back to Luke, and one of the next times he uses the word doxa or speaks about glory is in this amazing story in chapter 9. Jesus takes Peter and John with him, and they go up to a mountain. And something starts to go down on this mountain and the guys are getting all drowsy and sleepy and Jesus is suddenly transformed before their eyes and starts to glow. His, his clothes are glowing like lightning and Elijah and Moses turn up and they start discussing what's about to happen in Jesus' future and we see that word, the glory of God, the tangible, terrifying presence of God is there 
and all the disciples suddenly become, or the two that had been invited, become very alert all of a sudden and kind of lose their minds. Peter is mumbling about, let's make shelters for these guys, like ridiculous things. Peter can't even hold a coherent thought. And this cloud, the same cloud we saw in the wilderness of Sinai, descends on that mountain. And a voice thunders out of that cloud, just like it did to Moses. This is my son. Listen to him. I've chosen him. And then all of a sudden it's over and Jesus is just with them. And that chapter 9 account ends with this innocuous little line that Peter and John didn't tell anyone about that, that experience until much later. Why didn't they? Why didn't they run around saying, you won't believe it. We saw the same glory cloud that Moses and co. saw back in the, in the ancient days. The same glory cloud that occupied the, the old temple that Solomon um, orchestrated. Why did they keep quiet about it? Was it that it was so unbelievable that the glory of God would descend on a mountain? I'm not so sure. We've seen it done before. I think what was most unbelievable is that ordinary dudes could be in the presence of the glory of God and not be killed. You know, just like those shepherds didn't like the sound of the glory of God is actually among us and were nervous about it and terrified, just like all of Jerusalem didn't like the sound of the glory of God is among us, He's here and we're terrified, just like if you were an employee at Pick and Pay, right? And someone mentioned, oh, by the way, Raymond Ackerman, the owner and CEO, was shopping today. And you're like, flipped it, I serve him. You know, dude, your mom was at the party all the time. It's like undercover bosses thing. Except that we're not just talking about any owner. We're talking about the glorious one. We're talking about the one who from ancient of days created the world and sent planets spinning into orbit, whose voice is like thunder, whose eyes are like lightning, who is so bright that he is the light that gives light to everything. But light like that can also blind. That he's the source of all life, but the source of all life can also be deadly. That his glory is both desirable, but dangerous. Awesome, but awful. And you know who was the only one who didn't crawl towards the side of that manger? Well, the livestock that were too doff to work out what was going on. From lowly shepherds to royal wise men, everyone else crawled up to the side of this manger. Because like them, I just can't believe that such a big God could squeeze into such a small body, that such a glorious God could choose such a humble road. And so like them, I want to crawl on my knees up to the side of this manger, this nativity celebration. And like them, I want to watch his life closely and I want to give him my life unreservedly. Because if you see the nativity story as evidence of how important you are to God, you're not wrong. But you're like the employee who hasn't noticed that the boss is in town. You're like the donkey staring at a cute baby going, oh, this is interesting. Too thick, too unseeing to work out that the doxa, the cabo, the glory of God is here. And the angels said to those shepherds, don't worry, this is actually good news. Glory to God in the highest, but also peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. I'm desperate to have his favor because it's a matter of life or death now that his glory has arrived and is in our midst. As we wrap this up, I want you to hold on to everything that Paul's spoken about, that glory indwelling a human form. But I want to take us to and just go back to some of that text and open something up, and then I'm going to pull Paul's points back into the end. I want to look at verse 11 and 12 again. It says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. This is to the shepherds from the angels who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
Just look at this. And this will be the sign to you. What will be the sign to you? Now, you've got to have a little bit of understanding of context and scripture to, to actually appreciate this. When we think of a manger, we think of like a wooden box that we see in nativity scenes. But, but what a manger really was in Bethlehem was it was a chunk of stone. And in Bethlehem and Jerusalem, a lot of the stones got sandstone. It's quite soft. It would have been a chunk of stone that's been chiseled out or hewn. Basically, it would have looked like a very shallow bath that animals would eat out of. And so it says that, that Jesus was wrapped up in strips of cloth to keep him warm, to keep all those fluids on him, to, to put him into something so that his skin didn't rub against the rock. He was wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Why was that a sign? Well, when you read the rest of Luke, it gets to the end and it says... Joseph of Arimathea, when Jesus had died, bought fine linen, took Jesus down from the cross, and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a, in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a, sto- a stone against the door of the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus, wrapped him in linen, and put him into a rock that had been chiseled out like a shallow bath and closed the tomb. His birth was a picture of his purpose, his death. He was the child of God born to die. Now, what's incredible about this this message is that it's not sent to prophets, it's not sent to priests, it's sent to shepherds. And not any old shepherd. This is a specific group of shepherds. It's the shepherds of Bethlehem. And the shepherds of Bethlehem were known in those days to raise the flocks to be sacrificed. They had a huge flock that they would look after. And they would take that flock to the temple every year. And when people wanted to sacrifice, they would buy lambs raised by these shepherds with no blemish so that they could sacrifice for sin. In fact, the atonement lamb was part of this flock. They would always raise it from this flock. And so these shepherds knew what it meant to raise a lamb for a sacrifice. And these were potentially the only people who would understand the sign that when they looked at that piece of rock hewn out, they were looking at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, born to die. And the question I asked myself when I read this text, it kind of jumped out of me, is how did they engage? What did they think? What did they feel? How did they knew the picture? They knew what this was. How did they look at those pink little hands that were made for nails? Or those wrinkly feet that would walk up a hill to Calvary? And how did they, how did they look at that body that was, would one day have a spear pierced through it and have be marred by whips so that we could be healed? How would they have listened to that gurgling little voice that would one day say, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? How did they engage in that moment with the joy of this miracle, God dwelling amongst men, and the horror of the sacrifice that he would go to the cross? And as I was thinking about that, I realized these are the emotions many people are feeling right now. For some of us, we've buried people, 
And in this moment, we are with our family and joy. We've got this joy and we've got the pain. For some of us, we, we've, we're having a great Christmas lunch, but we've got the loss of a salary or a job or a business. I, I gave birth to a child this year in lockdown whilst I was mourning the loss of so many things. I, I understand that we carry this tension of, of joy and pain. So how did they engage? The truth is, we don't know exactly how they engage. The text doesn't explain it. But what we know is this, is that we have a privilege that they never did. Because we know that the Christmas story doesn't just end with God dwelling with men. It doesn't end with Jesus' birth being a picture of his death. We know that the Christmas story ends with the kavod that Paul was speaking about, the docks of the glory of God coming into a tomb that Jesus is lying dead in and exploding life into his body, just like it did with Moses and his face shone or Aaron's staff that budded or the way it did with David's priests who died. The glory of God came in in its weightiness and Jesus exploded out of the tomb. We know that the Christmas story doesn't end in death. It ends in resurrected life to a new form. Now here's why this is so, so important to you. Because if you are sitting this day in a very unexpected Christmas, remember that the first Christmas was one unexpected event after the next. Mary was a virgin who fell pregnant. That Jesus was born in into a body, a human body. He didn't come full size. He came fragile. That he was put into a feeding trough and not a hotel. That wise men came from afar and people around didn't notice. There was nothing expected that he came to save us from sin, not from Rome. Nothing was as expected. And maybe for you, nothing is what you expected today. But know this, that nothing could stop the plan of God from happening in Jesus' life. Not Zachariah's doubt. Not Mary's confusion. Not the fact that Joseph wanted to divorce Mary. Not Rome wanting to stop. Not Herod killing all the kids under two in the region. Nothing. Not Judaism's legalism. Not Rome's political power. Nothing. Not Satan coming and onslaughting Jesus with temptation and demonic activity. Nothing could stop the plan of God for Jesus' life on Christmas Day. And if you are in Christ Jesus, there is nothing. If you submit your life to Christ, there is nothing. That not COVID, not loss of job, not loss of income, not the pain you're feeling today. Nothing can stop the resurrection power of God, if you're in Christ Jesus, from exploding into your life. As you sit there, you need to know this. That if you're in Christ, God may not give you the form of things you wanted. You had dreams in January. They've changed. You've got hopes in March. God may not resurrect the business that you had. But my God will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. God may not 
raised back from the dead, the person you loved and hurting for. But my God has made a way that you can spend eternity with them. He may not end your isolation, but he has given a friend who sits closer than a brother. He may not bring back life as it was exactly before, how you dreamt it would always be. He may never bring that back again, but you've got to know this, that God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life could ever be. And his goal for your life is joy in Christ Jesus. And he has a Christmas for you. So why don't you take your burdens and your pains and the things you've tried to bury and the things that are hurting, and why don't you bring them through Christ Jesus into the glory of God's throne room of grace? And how I want to wrap up today is I want to pray. I want to pray for two groups of people, those who don't know Jesus and you've never experienced the glory of God. I want to pray for you if you want to accept Christ into your life to be forgiven of sin so that you can come into the presence of God. I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to pray for those of us who just need to take our hope deferred and our pain to God's hands. I want to pray. So for the first group, if you want to ask Jesus into your life, here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were the child born to die so that I can have eternity with the Father. Forgive me of my sin, for all the ways I've turned away from you, for all the ways I've chosen other than you. I today ask you to come into my life. Please come in and bring me into the presence of God. And for the rest of us, especially those who are in pain, I want you to just do this and say, Jesus, I bring you, and you can name that thing, my loss, my hurt, my insecurity, my fear of the second strain, my fear of what this is going to do. I bring you my dead things, my dying things, my hopeless things. I bring them to you, and I believe that your plan can never be stopped for my life. It can't, can't be thwarted by anything external. And so I choose your plan for my life. Come into my life in these dead areas. Breathe your light and lead me to where you want me to go because you are good. I pray this in Jesus' name. And I pray that you have a phenomenal Christmas lunch. Your gifts are special. If you don't have people around, we literally want to throw our hearts at you. If we could, we would. And I pray that you have a fantastic rest of your day. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to find out more information about Olive Tree Church, please visit our website at otc.org.za or email info at otc.org.za. We hope you have an amazing week.